Hello and welcome to USA Rugby Happy Hour Live. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us. We are here for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour to talk, usually Major League Rugby and other things, but tonight it is totally USA Rugby with some big news. Uh, we encourage you to come up here, uh, ask us or our guests questions. Uh, we, we love the listeners that drive your show. Uh, you all have been great this whole season and last year also with your questions, and we encourage every every show. And to get updates on future shows and news about USA Rugby, Major League Rugby, and more, follow Eagles Overseas and Rugby Morning here on Twitter and most other social media channels. I am Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas, also the host of the Eagle-Eyed Rugby Podcast, interviewing U.S. Eagles around the globe. And to introduce himself is my partner in crime, backslash co-host, John Fitzpatrick. Thanks, Bill. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm John. So here at Rugby Morning, we curate the top rugby news from around the world and serve it up in an email that you can read in five minutes or less. And we send it out six days a week. And you can find us on social and sign up at Rugby Morning. Bill, I wonder what we're going to talk about tonight. Anything going on today? You know, I was thinking we should talk about Northern Canadian club rugby. Um, I think there's a great ice game going on um, at some point. Well, maybe not. Let's. <laughs> I'm ready to do a deep dive on that if you want to. <laughs> Another time. Also, quick note, uh, we did an interview, John and I did an interview today with USA Rugby CEO Ross Young and USA uh, Rugby World Cup bid chair Jim Brown. And I think it was a really fun interview. Um, that is posting right now. It's actually online right now as a podcast on the Eagle-Eyed Rugby Podcast, and it will have its own show, its own home soon, actually. But now check it out there, and we'll post more updates about it after the show. Later in the show, we have, uh, I guess, the player with the most caps in the USA uniform. The legend Todd Clever joins us later. But in the meantime, let's go to our first guest. You know, this this man is a is no stranger to huge sporting events. Uh, he's competed in Hong Kong Sevens, captain the Eagles in, in the World Cup. Uh, two World Cups he appeared in, 45 caps for USA. Oh, gosh, USA Rugby Hall of Famer. And now, more importantly, tied with Christian Dyer and Ryan Mattias for the most appearances on this show. Uh, please welcome Dan Lyle. Dan, how are you? I am great, guys. Uh, it's a great day uh, to be an American rugby person. It absolutely is. I mean, you know, again, thanks for coming on. I know you're you're elbow deep in Cleveland Sevens this weekend. You know, it would be a, uh, we'll get it out of the way right now because it'd be a huge disservice if we don't talk about that for a second. So tell us about what's going on for you this weekend. Yeah, I've got uh, 64 teams in the other room in the uh, at Kansas State University getting ready for a manager's meeting to talk about the uh, the event this weekend. Uh, but yeah, it's the uh, USA Rugby Sevens Collegiate Championship, uh, three divisions uh, for male and female, uh, and we'll crown a champion live on NBC Sports. Uh, we'll crown three champions live on NBC Sports uh, on Sunday afternoon. So uh, really excited to... Uh, to build an event uh, that I think uh, all of us believe that rugby deserves uh, in, a, in a space where uh, lacrosse and baseball and ice hockey and volleyball and all have national championships that are on television in front of and good stadiums and venues and, you know, uh, with sponsors and partners, um, you know, we believe that uh, rugby deserves that. And, um and so we're endeavoring to put it on in, in partnership with the Collegiate Council and and obviously these universities plus all those that uh, qualified. So really exciting. And, and it's, you know, to segue back to the Rugby World Cup, it, you know, it's the 
college is the gateway, you know, um, for most American sports. Uh, and um, it's certainly a significant part of the gateway for American rugby. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent, Dan. And it's amazing. I, I wish I was down there this weekend, but I couldn't make it this weekend. It's going to be a great event. Your old stomping grounds, Bill. Your own oh, absolutely. I've I never actually played on Kennesaw State's fields, but I've played in many, um, I guess, many unmowed fields around Atlanta. <laughs> well, the 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 oohs and ahs of the players walking out and on the field today. Um, I think the viewers on you know watching it on Peacock and CNBC and NBC and and seeing some of the highlights and some of the posts that players are playing, it is immaculate. It is right. You know, today it's, it's just, uh, it, it's one of the great campuses for multi-sport, um, out there. And so we've got five or six sports going. So we're looking forward to it and, and appreciate you allowing me to, or else to plug, uh, college sevens. Of course. And it's something we'll actually touch, touch on a little bit later about the youth right now. And some of these collegiate sevens players could actually be in, uh, what we're talking about this tonight. Um, and on to that big news, Dan, or you know, not just the day, but the uh, big news of the decade. You know, what are your emotions right now, Dan? I mean, are you dancing the streets like Todd Clever with American flag or bar, bar hopping like Ross Young in Dublin? I mean, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I, I guess I'm somewhere right in between that, right? Uh, certainly, I can't surf or uh, skateboard like Todd, um, <laughs> although I would try, you know, in, in my, my world. Uh, but... Um, yeah, ecstatic, you know, um, really ecstatic because the opportunity of the uh, of this event or events, plural, uh, are happening and because they're so um, relevant and, dare I say, precious to world rugby because they, they frame and fund the entire game, they can't fail. They can't fail. And, and, you know, I don't say that to start off with like a negative, right, or to lead to a positive, but it just means that everybody's going to have to unite, you know, united by rugby. And, and that's why you're ecstatic, because it's it's not something that could go away. It's not something that, that you can't do. It's something that you have to do. And there's so many building blocks that will unlock the potential of America. It, you know, it really makes you, um, you know, you know, be excited to probably a level that we've never been a, been at before. Yeah, and Dan, uh, you know, there were there was talks a year or so ago about USA possibly playing the Lions, which is a once in a lifetime deal. Um, you know, what would it mean for these athletes right now, or the future athletes for USA Rugby, uh, to have to play on home soil, which would be kind of a, a, a one time deal? You know, what what does that mean for them? It, it's, it's just such a I don't know. Is even something you even grasped ever to play in a World Cup game on USA Soil? I think it's a you know, you know, everyone plays on U.S. soil, right? Playing right. playing on a, in a rugby World Cup of significance, of value uh, that is built, that you are going to be competitive, and that you know there there is a culmination towards and a legacy, both before and after. Uh, both for 31 and 33, I, I, I think that that's what can make it significant, you know, and, and for the players and, and for everybody that, that that puts their shoulder to the uh, to the wheel now, right? Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a different level of uh, of promise, uh, and so the the players that there's 
you know, just a handful of players that are young enough on these teams now that could last to it. And, and certainly the, those in college and high school and middle school right now are the, those are the kids, you know, and, um, you know, but it's, it, it's a pendulum of what comes from within our rugby pathway and pipeline and what comes from other sports and crossover and, you know, and how we marry that together and how we inspire more youth, more administrators uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have a defined thought process of what we should look like and how we should do that um, going forward, but it's going to be a, a, a universal principle uh, that everybody's going to have to come together and, and at least buy in to what I think right. over the next six months will be a constructed uh, go forward blueprint. Mm-hmm. Dan, I think uh, United by Rugby, whoever came up with that tagline, they did a really good job because I think you're absolutely right. Um, but, you know, you talk about the level of significance. Is this hosting in 31 and 33, is this an, an automatic game changer for rugby in the States from a financial level, from a membership level, all of the above? Uh, certainly. It has to be. Um, and not just because people say it has to be. It, it, it's mm-hmm. um, you start with the end. The end could be the first billion dollar revenue world cup let's just start with that let's say put it out there yeah wow and so how much of that money is you know is positioned for a long-term you know uh infrastructure and and growth and development and how much is is pre-legacy to start to put administrators and 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 development officers and and structure plans in place at the, at the different 30, 40, 50 cities in America, you know, uh, and going to work there. So, yeah, I, I think it's a game changer because, you know, that, that financial impetus and that, that people impetus puts you in a position um, of growth, right? And so, and we've never had that level of, of capability, you know? So, yeah, it, it's a game changer because you, we'll see significant growth and mm-hmm. significant upside um you know it, it it's 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 one of those it's it, it's only in one's imagination or scope you know based upon their own circumstances who they are as individuals what their rugby journey has been like what their what their experiences are in, in order to get to a place where you know um it, that that's the that's the unknown how much uh of our are the this growth curve right will will happen mm-hmm. and, and you you speak about growth and certainly part of what i think is most attractive about what could happen over the next 10 years here is really the the growth of women's rugby right so flipping the switch here for a little bit you had the u.s they've hosted the fifa women's soccer world cup i think twice now which helped bring about a professional women's soccer league i know there's the wpl which is kind of a semi-pro league but do you think these world cups could have the same effect here on a professional women's game here in the U.S. Yeah, everything I just said there, John, um, applies to the women's game, maybe more than the men's game. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, there is, you know, uh, an equal, if not greater, opportunity for the women's game to just blow up. You know, um, in a positive way, um, because there's there's not there's not as many landscape. Uh, issues 
um, like American football and others, right? And there's certainly the NCAA initiative um, that is immediate and, and, and reachable. And then I think that, 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 that scholastic uh, associations are looking for just as much as the NCAA, you know, women's sports and girls' sports in high schools. I think that sponsors are attuned to, to wanting to drive um, their, their monies to decision makers, which are, were, are over 50% of the time women. You know, so I, I really do think it's a, um, it's a great time uh, and, and, and a wonderful marriage of the two. Um, but certainly also that we can springboard off of the 26 soccer World Cup and the 28 games, which are international sports where the fans traveling in, sponsors sponsoring, data sets uh, delivered. I think, I think uh, venues tested, right, particularly for soccer which is, you know, akin to almost akin to rugby, you know, so I think all of those things um, bears fruit for both, but yeah, I would, I, I would highlight that the women's um, aspirations and, and goals um, could be higher than the men's. But Dan, you know, you and I have talked about broadcast um, a number of times because we're, you and I uh, both work in similar, or at least pays our mortgage um, you know, looking at World Cup broadcast rights, you know, in the United States, like NFL, uh, Major League Rugby, I'm uh, sorry, not Major League Rugby, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, NHL, you know, they sell their broadcast rights to broadcasters for, you know, billions of dollars, which is crazy. You know, uh, to the best of your knowledge, I mean, how does that work for World Cups? You know, uh, and any specific you can share with us, uh, Peacock, NBC Sports, are they the forerunners as far as like broadcast rights to the World Cup? Well, uh, they're the rights holders for the next World Cup in France um, and, and the Women's World Cup that's coming up this fall and the Seventh World Cup. So they're, they're the broadcaster for uh, World Rugby right now. I, I certainly think that um, the Rugby World Cup um, and, you know, really um, uh, cherished and viewed um, content uh, is valuable, you know, and so we, we're going to be on a build, um, and what is the value that we bring? Um, I think that it harkens to a little bit of the college stuff. I think the college 15s and college 7s has got an appeal because there are a thousand universities, therefore there's there's thousands of, of alumni, and or, or if not millions of alumni, and, and parents and, and others. So I, I think that that moves the needle because all of that content is probably digital content, except for some of the bigger stuff that could simulcast on linear and digital. So, you know, it will certainly be a media a strategy as part of this growth to, you know, you know, shed the, shed the shackles uh, and being able to optimize, you know, the red, white, and blue. I think a lot of networks, a lot of groups want to put the flag around them. They, they also like college. Um, certainly the content of the MLR and, and our test match schedules to which we've never had schedules. If, if we can create a combined asset or at least, you know, uh, bring those things together, including some of the, like the Rugby World Cup as a leverage piece and maybe even some of the other international um, rights. And you start to kind of build a package and it might maybe that's a single network to start off with. Maybe that's a couple, but you ultimately want to get into the commodity and they can see their subscriptions and their numbers raising and sponsors wanting to get behind it. So it's not an instant 
um, uh, change, but it's a gradual change. And things like the World Cup do have value today. You know, I do think that certain test matches uh, for men and women in America have value today. I think there's college that has value today. If you can have a media savvy strategy, you can start off in the right direction and, and, and build from there. Uh, but Dan, let, let, one more question about broadcast for you, um, and I'm going to move on to John with another a good question. But, um, you know, this this country is pretty unique as far as we have so many um, sports broadcasts, uh, um, you know, uh, availability, ESPN, NBC Sports, Peacock, um, CBS Sports, Fox Sports, you know, TNT is doing a lot of stuff right now, too. You know, um, why, uh, and generally speaking, Dan, why uh, do we not have more, you know, networks involved and wanting to push, not, not push the game, but I'll jump on the bandwagon as far as getting at least rugby in front of American eyes. Well, I, to be honest, you know, we have not made it easy on ourselves, right? And, and, and part of that is, uh, is, you know, our own fault. Some of that is external to us, meaning that um, if we have content, what are we trying to do with it? And we try to spin up a rugby channel, right? And try to create and com- try and create and compete with subs- subscription networks that are, that's all they're doing. Right. And, and then the external content um, sometimes just took the number, right? An agency represented, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a six nations or, or tri nations or whatever it may be, or it's rugby championship, excuse me. Um, and, you know, they just took a number and it wasn't plugged in necessarily to what was good for America, how how USA Rugby could leverage it uh, itself. And so um, it's been done in fits and starts. USA Rugby and the landscape here has been kind of a, a frontier versus, a you know, a, a controlled, you know, a expansion project. Right. Um, so that needs to be harnessed, as I said before. So and leveraged and and. You know, and, and, and real experts um, that need to be, you know, at the, at the table and, uh, and reasonably discuss, you know, what is what's what is doable and uh, and grow the, you know, the two prongs of, of a great media strategy are value and awareness. Right. So you're growing your value and you're growing your awareness um, and, and both of that, the, the awareness is based upon, you know, how. Uh, how, how much can I see it? How much do I have to pay? You know, you know, where where is it? Is it easy for the the common person, the non-rugby person, to access it? You know, and and the value is are are my rights going up? Am I getting more production value? Am I getting more sponsors? Is it is a complementary strategy to my event strategy to my growth strategy? And ultimately, you know, uh, you're all everyone's boiling uh, down to potentially a rights fee. So, Dan, uh, a great question. I appreciate it. We're going to go to our, our first listener tonight, and then we're going to have one more question after this, Dan, and we'll, we'll go ahead and let you go for the night. But uh, uh, always have a chance, a great chance to talk to Peter DeHaas. Peter, good to have you up here. Hi, guys. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, great to great to listen in tonight. And, uh, you know, as a USA rugby fan, uh, what a day. What a great day. So uh, thanks for thanks for the opportunity to, to ask a question. And uh, I, uh, I just... Uh, want to make a few statements and, and, and get your guys' your, your thoughts on it and, and uh, basically I guess just ask one question uh, that applies to to our uh, 
our men's and women's eagles, uh, you know, more specifically our national teams. Uh, you know, the Rugby World Cup, the, the opportunity is just so ginormous, you know. I mean, uh, it could take you another uh, 30, 40, 50 years to, to, to get an opportunity like that again, you know, if we know uh, every four years how many how many countries stand in line, you know. So, uh, but uh, I just want to step away from, from, from the hype and, uh, you know, the marketing and, you know, all the sideshows and development and growing the game and, and all these things that is going to come in the next uh, 10 years. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's still pro sport. It's professional sport. So, uh, you know, the Eagles need to do well uh, on home soil, uh, you know, in the U.S. And, and if they want to catapult the sport to, you know, to to uh, to the massive audience that's, that's actually going to going to be looking, you know. So and, um, you know, I, I, I just think the, the, there's a recipe uh uh, that's not too complicated, you know. If you look at the soccer that you guys have mentioned earlier in the U.S., you know the rugby in in uh, the rugby World Cup in the Japan, uh, it showed us. I mean, I was I, I was physically there. In I'll never forget the opening game uh, uh, when Japan played Russia. You know, uh, uh, they pumped the Russians and, and 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 just captivated the whole country. You know, everybody was watching. Uh, and uh, literally a month later, these guys were were household names. You know now. You know, I don't say the Eagles must win the, the Rugby World Cup, but, but you know, the guys have got to play well and they've got to play great rugby, score great tries. They've got to be competitive, you know, and, and, and most of all, I think, uh, inspire people. You know, you, you, you're you not going to inspire people by losing by 50 or 100 points, you know. So, uh, um, and, um, it, uh, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's pretty common knowledge that, that just to, to be successful at the Rugby World Cup, uh, all the successful teams uh, will tell you that that you need experience there. You know, uh, uh, you, you're not going to do well at the Rugby World Cup with a bunch of 20, 25 year olds. You know, um, everybody that that's the teams that won that competition and doing well, uh, they'll tell you. You know, you got to have guys that's been there before that that has got your se- senior experienced players have got to stand up and they got to be on form. You know, so uh, I mean, if you look at our team uh, for 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 uh, uh, for France next year. Guys that will be 32 years or older, you look at the Brachis, you know, Josefo, McGinty, Lasiki, Dolan, Saveta, Brakley, Peterson, Augsburger, those guys are all 32 years and older. So, and they'll be the backbone or the foundation of the team, you know. So, so when 31 swing by, you, you want the, the Anuis and the Perfilettis and the Mahonis and the Dyers, the Algeburis, these guys must be 30, 32 years old and, and, and have 60 test matches behind them, you know. And, so I guess my question is: Is uh, the USA Rugby, the organisation, are they going to ensure that our guys play a crap load of Test matches uh, uh, against, you know, quality guys like the Tongans and the Samoans, the Fijis, Japan, Italy's, those kind of guys? I'm, I'm not talking about a meaningless game where, uh, you know, where you get a hundred points and and and. Mm-hmm. Half of the guys are not even going to France anymore in, in that team, you know. So I just feel you can't blame the coaches or the players if if, if we can't do that, you know. The, uh, is that on the agenda for our men and our women? Uh, uh, and that's my question. And that's that's it from from me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, um, Bill John, you want me to jump into that? Yeah, go ahead, Dan. So yeah, and, and thanks, uh, and thanks for producing a great human uh, in Ruben. It sounded like a, 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 a rhyming thing there, but uh, um, wonderful that he's uh, that he's in our team. Um, th- this is what I think. I, I think that um, that there are three three pillars of where 
world rugby and USA rugby and stakeholders will attack. They're, they're, they'll attack their participation level. They have We have to open and expand the funnel. That's about a state by state, city by city, taking the 60, 70 million kids out there and getting a million of them playing rugby, right? And that's a that's a tactical and strategic challenge. The second one is is the as the professional level. What's the how do they raise up through from from schools to to college to academies into the MLR or the professional leagues? That that's a systematic structure that 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 identifies both the quantity and the quality of of our national team. And then the third one is high performance. It's our national teams themselves. So there has to be a regular calendar a regular schedule of competition. As you referenced the Japanese, the Japanese played 16 test matches in, in 10 months, you know, leading into the World Cup. They were battle tested, they were veterans, you know, and they had, they had played together for a certain period of time. They overachieved primarily because of that. It's the reason why Uruguay and Chile and others overachieve with the talent levels that they have because they play together and they, and they and do that. But let me just give one cautionary tale. There is a steel reinforced ceiling to playing 10, 12, 13 test matches in a year. You, you only get so much better. What you have to parallel that with is the, 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 that there's 300 uh, athletes below that that are equal to the, the athletes that are playing. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they're just not as good. And that those athletes and the players on your national team are equal physically, metrically, not just rugby-wise, you know, because the, it connotes that a 10-test mass season, you know, is going to get you enough rugby skills. But th- their rugby skills and their physical metrics, how, how fast they are, how high they jump, they have to be equal to the top 10 teams in the world. And if you, if you put our players against the top 10 teams in the world, they're not going to get from point A to point B as fast as the top 10 teams in the world. So we have to uplift our metrics and we have to uplift our, our uh, skills. And, and, and obviously, uh, Peter, and you stated it very well, we have to increase the number of test matches. The women are on that route on all three accounts. Um, and they have the, the World 15 competition and the PAC 4 and others that, that, that are being rooted in. So they, they're ahead of the curve as far as the men's 15s team. The men's 15s got to get regular competition. We need we need to play tier two more, right? We need to play Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, Japan, you know, Canada, Uruguay. We need to play them more, you know, let alone another two or three uh, test matches. But the value proposition has to, be, has to be brought in based upon those other pillars and some of the commercial stuff that we talked about before. So uh, it, it's a, it, it has to be a blueprint and a plan, and we can't hope guess or be the 45 50 year old startup that we currently are meaning with we're not out of the garage and we're we're not in our supply chain yet we have to we have to formulate those things uh specifically and detailed to the point where you know if if you know using uh, your offspring as thing if ruben is metrically good enough rugby good enough and he's playing enough test matches then we will be successful fair enough yeah, thanks, Peter, for that uh, question. Dan, do you have time for one more question from our yep. band? From- yep, one more. Yep. All right, John. John from Australia. Thanks for checking in, man. G'day, uh, guys. Yeah, thanks for that. And, uh, Dan, the good news is you answered probably about a third of my question right at the end there, so this might be a nice, easy one for you. Um, just if you could put it like, like a global hat on for a moment, the other big news of the week is the 
potential. I, I feel like it's closer for for um, for the top twenty four countries to play each other more regularly in a more organised tournament. Do you think that will help overall with what you were mentioning earlier about you know um, getting all people within rugby, all countries singing from the same hymn sheet and allowing, you know, I imagine that would involve one broadcaster rather than several and things like that. Do you think that is going to help advance the game as a whole globally? I, I, I certainly think it has the potential to all of the nuances of what we're going to think that, you know, as rugby people, we can guesstimate that, you know, the you've got the top 12 and then the next 12 down. And certainly if you're playing, as I just advocated there, more against your peers and have access to either promotion, relegation and or, up, you know, the, the teams just above you, it, it's still got to be a meritocracy, right? We as Americans can't say, hey, we need to play this team and more often, et cetera, et cetera. When we're, when we're not, you know, we're not getting better as a nation as far uh, participation wise. So yeah, it, it, it's certainly um, the, the, the quality tests and, and the quantity of tests um, that you play. And, and if this is the, the right vehicle, then absolutely it, it, there needs to be some vehicle because I, I said it on, on, on a thing the other day, the, the Indiana Hoosiers, the Springboks, and, and the Boston Celtics all know who they're going to play for the next 100 years. We need to have a regular calendar, not just for competitive uplift, but for moms and dads and athletic directors and parks and recs and just the common fan to understand when's rugby season and, and who do we play and why do we play, right? You can't, you can't confuse or, or not inform you know, the public and expect the sport to grow. So I, I'm hoping that that is part of the equation um, or, or something very similar to what they're doing. Thank you, John. Uh, always a pleasure having you on here. Uh, I think it's the wee hour of the morning for you, uh, or midday for you, actually. Thank you for asking questions. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this, you know, monumental day. It's such a great uh, day in history for USA Rugby and you know, we have a long way to go until it happens again, but uh, thank you so much. And actually, and good luck this weekend in Atlanta. Well, the, the irony is that I've handed the baton to Todd in the past, so I'm going to hand it to him now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he'll, he'll probably do a lot better than I just did and uh, like he normally does. And, you know, wish you guys well. And you guys are doing a great job. I, I, watch, I, I Excuse me. I, I, I watch your podcast slash, you know, listen to him and rugby mornings in my box every morning and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do without it, John. So thanks very much. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. See you guys. All right, let's move on. Uh, our next guest, uh, this guy uh, was a journeyman or still is really a journeyman. He, he's played everywhere from Japan to South Africa uh, to San Diego, England. Uh, the first USA player to ever score a try in Super 14, uh, rug Super Rugby Now. And uh, part-time SI swimsuit model. <laughs> uh, please welcome everybody, Todd Clever. Todd, how are you, buddy? Yeah, all good, all good. Thanks for the intro. Happy to be on here. That's good. Uh, your publicist sent me all those things. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. But don't, don't, don't believe everything that you read. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, our crack team of researchers really is just your Wikipedia page. So it's it goes on and on, dude. You, <laughs> it's fun to hear. Fun to read. But you know what, uh, Todd, before we get into it, the top of the night, I, I, tell us a bit about what you're up to these days. I know you're in L.A. with the Guiltinis. What's going on? 
Yeah. Yep. In sunny California. Uh, just, uh, just making sure that, uh, my life is, is well balanced with, mm-hmm. uh, fam with family time with, uh, with, touring with uh rugby and setting goals and and everything else and uh now just uh i'm I'm still on cloud nine or actually i will be for the next uh, decade from uh from the news today so um this is when we get to work and excited to be part of it all yeah i mean i mean you're you're like a you're this flag flying beach side uh bike riding you know a comeback todd are you excited so excited you're gonna make a comeback so you can play on american soil come on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what if they need a water boy you know <laughs> if I, if i don't pull my hamstring then then yeah sign me up but no i'll be i'll be the loudest one in the in the in the, in the stadium that's for sure and, th- and not just for the usa games but for all the games so it's a uh, it's really exciting no todd it's it's definitely very exciting and it's always good to have uh you involved with usa rugby in whatever fashion or form uh but so you're certainly one of the most decorated U.S. Eagles of all time, the most caps. Um, do you feel a sense of duty to spread the love of the game or to get non-believers uh, into the game? I mean, it's it's my passion, you know. I, I really feel that, uh, you know, everybody's here for a reason. And, and if you if you put your, your, your life to it, and, and rugby gave me so much, it gave my family so much, um, you know, and, and for, for me to just, uh, hang up the boots and, and, not, and never look, look away that that's not, uh, that would never happen. Um, you know, that's, that's the biggest reason why I started a foundation to, uh, uplift and unite the rugby community. And, and in that we're going to build it as well, because, you know, everybody looks at this, uh, shiny object with the rugby world cup in, in, uh, in 10 or so years, and that's what we're we're already looking to, you know, uh, wanting a performance from the Eagles. But at, at the at the same time, that's where I look at it and see the opportunity on how we can grow this game, how we can really uh, introduce this game, educate the public on it and the values of our sport and making sure that bottom of that pillar is stronger and bigger than ever by introducing the sport to uh, people across the, across our great nation. Yeah, I mean, you can you can hear the passion in your voice, and you can see you know the fun you're having, you know, post post the 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 rugby playing career with the foundation that you started, which is actually a real good segue into. So we've got kids, you know, nine, eleven years from now who could be representing USA in a home hosted World Cup. How do we encourage them to to stay in the game, to take it on as their passion, so maybe they do have a chance to pull on the red, white, and blue one day. Yeah, and 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 that's uh that we actually the last week or so knowing that this was uh, looking like we were going to host it uh, with my foundation, we had board meetings and it's like okay, let's focus on this youth, let's focus on these eleven to seventeen year old uh, boys and girls um, with this, and how can we really help the United States with ID camps? Um, you know, the biggest thing you know with, with American rugby. The high performance it is, it's a pay to play. And a lot of the best athletes can't afford the sport because it's such a global game. So that's where I really want to install scholarships, really want to involve, you know, camp IDs to really, you know, focus on on that. Because like you said, we're focusing on, you know, nine, 10 years, 11 years time. How can we ID these young, young athletes, get more, uh, more rugby balls in these boys and girls hands uh, for us to, uh, to make a splash. You know, Todd, uh, one of our listeners right now has sent, uh, he actually replied to 
uh, uh, the post here, the Shadow uh, Fit is listening right now, uh, which I think is the same line we just talked about. He, he asked, uh, you know, how can we as older rugby enthusiasts spread the word about the game? He, uh, he said he never heard of rugby when he was younger and didn't start actively watching until his late 30s. He's 42 now and love to play and get the word out. So how do us older people get the word out? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, there, there's a lot of rugby being played all over the nation. And, uh, you know, it's not like it is in New Zealand or England or somewhere that's established where you can kind of just go to their clubhouse and and uh, volunteer and, you know, help out behind the bar or anything else. Uh, we, ha- we have to be a little bit more proactive. Um, but, you know, if you do a little bit of research, if you're in, uh, in Nebraska, if you're in, you know, Nevada, if you're in Florida, um, you know, the, the chances are, you know, there's going to be some rugby, boys or girls rugby, university rugby or men's and women's rugby, something like that. But, you know, supporting that, getting it involved with, uh, you know, the local companies and if it's local bars or local anything um, and, and just uh, just bid for it. I mean, that's the thing, you know, there, there's going to be there's going to be a mass amount of games coming over travelers. So the, the more more structure and more people talking about it, more people that are involved with community rugby, um, it's going to, you know, trickle up, not trickle down. It's going to triple up. And that's why I say, you know, working on uh, the grassroots and getting more people involved will help the end game uh, at the World Cup. But we can't focus on that shiny object. We can't focus on the national team, you know, qualifying for quarters or, or making the semis or anything else. That's where the work starts now. And, and, and it's going to be working with the good-hearted people of, uh, of the community like you just spoke of. And, and Todd, looking at your role with the Guiltinis in Major League Rugby, what do you think MLR's role uh, and individ- individual teams' roles in supporting the World Cup process over the next year, like how, how can MLR really uh, uh, push the next 10 years for the World Cup success? I mean, I can speak about the Guiltinis in, in Los Angeles, but I can't speak about other, other, other cities and, and, and teams. Um, you know, from our side, we have an open book policy. They need they need any uh, you know data. They need any uh, contacts with stadiums. If they need anything else, and we we have had uh, many meetings, and and we're actually going to be hosting quite a few people uh, for our June fifth game at the LA Memorial Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, LA Guiltinis versus Seattle. That's where we start. You know, having this big blast start getting more corporate people over, start getting more families introduced and educating everybody across the board. So that's where I would suggest, and you know, and my role with the Guiltinis is, is a great one. It's a, it's head of strategic and partnerships. So my strategy is, is coming up with something and getting the, you know, getting as many people at the table and hopefully I'm the, I'm, uh, I'm the least smart one there so I can take as many notes and connect as many people as possible where we can actually, you know, do something proper, get the broadcast deals that Dan Lyle was just spoke is speaking about, making sure that these fa- these uh, these stadiums are going to be filled. But you know, they're not going to fill themselves. The the, the corporate gigs are not going to sign themselves. That's where a lot of community engagement is really going to come in. And uh, you know, people with good hearts and, and and time on their hands have to raise their raise their hand uh, to to make sure that these things are going to happen. So once again, everybody, we, we have Todd Clever here with us uh, for a while now, for a little while now. Um, and we do encourage the listeners to come up here and ask some questions. And we do have a listener come up here right now. I don't know his real name, but his handle is Beer, Beer, Beer. 
That's <laughs> perfect. Hi, my real name's Corey. Um, I'm out here in Chicago, and um, I was at 2014 game with USA versus New Zealand, sold out in Soldier Field, 65,000 people in the stadium. Best rugby moment I've ever had. It was just unbelievable being around that many people supporting the sport I love. Um, also saw New Zealand versus Ireland there with a big crowd. Uh, so my question is about stadiums. So I love Todd watching your uh, team you're affiliated with the Giltinis playing the LA Coliseum. Do you have a stadium that as a fan or if you were back as a player, that would be a dream stadium that you'd have wanted to play in in the U.S.? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, across from from the whole coast. I would just want to go big, you know, I want to set records. So, you know, find the biggest thing, find the, the, the most passionate fans, but that's what we have to think. We have to think big um, on it. We have to think, you know, you know, how, how big, how, how much local to people traveling in to, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, sometimes rugby is not enough to fill that game. If it's all blacks, you know, filling a game at soldier field, that's great. But that, I remember that week. That whole week was full of functions of dinners. There's golf tournaments. There's auctions. There's long lunches. There's all these sort of things that people had a whole week or a weekend of stuff to do, which is fantastic. So the fan fest that uh, that, that Rugby World Cup brings in, the people, you know, if it's golf tournaments, as, as mentioned before. So, you know, to, long-winded answer, I don't have – um, you know, a specific stadium. I think, you know, the all LA Memorial Coliseum would be pretty spectacular just because of the history uh, of, of who's been inside that building from Nelson Mandela to the Pope to, you know, World Series, Super Bowls and, 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 and all that. That would be amazing. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think whatever holds the most uh, capacity would, would, uh, would, be, would be great. And hopefully that's, that, that maximum capacity isn't enough still. Uh, you know, Todd, uh, before we get to our next listener here, um, John from Australia, before we get to him, um, you just mentioned about the whole kind of a party atmosphere, excitement atmosphere. I mean, you've played in some of the biggest party events like Hong Kong, Evans. You know, is that something that we need to have here for maybe a finals weekend? Do we need to have that atmosphere to make the World Cup a success? Oh, I think I think you need to take it a few steps back, not the final. I think I think you need to have the first game, all the pool games, even like, you know, quote unquote, minnow nations, which, which isn't a good term, but the smaller teams, um, I think that's got to be even more of a party than the rugby. It, it's sometimes, like I said, rugby is not enough. We got to have a whole fair, you know, around that. Um, because I mean, th th these, these music bands or festivals or anything else are selling out, you know, huge amounts of uh, real estate and stadiums um, and tie that in. And there's some places where, you know, it's okay, you know, maybe not in 10 years time for the Rugby World Cup, but for right now leading up to it, it's okay that rugby is the byproduct. They might not be there for the rugby, but they're there to be there for a festival or a concert or something else. Mm -hmm. And that's where they get introduced. Once they're, once they're introduced, we educate them. Once they educate them, they see the values. They'll see everything else. Then that's, I think, how you can create fans. And I think you're right on because uh, tomorrow uh, the New England Free Jacks play Atlanta um, uh, Friday night, and at, at two match starts they're having a, a brew fest. So for an extra like twenty bucks, there's about six breweries, 
come in there, you get like 15 three-ounce pours. Uh, I'm mentioning this because I'm going. I am definitely going to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that kind of festival, that kind of atmosphere brings in new fans. It's exactly what you're talking about, Todd, and I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, so with that said, let's go on to our next listener. Uh, always, John, thanks for coming up again. Uh, hey, Todd, and apologies to all for the background noise here. Um, look, there's a million questions I could ask about the World Cup or the MLR, but for me, um, I really can only go to one place here, which is the uh, Montpellier in 2007. Um, Todd, I'm sure you've been asked a million times about this over the years, but maybe you could just tell us about um, that moment. I noticed that you had a pretty couple of big roles in it as well, and um, it's just one of my all-time favourite sporting moments, uh, that try. So, And what, what what's uh, Taku up these to these days as well? <laughs> well, I'm glad that you mentioned the try because th- th- there's been oh. some great Montpellier moments, you know, in in, the, in some cafes and some nightclubs and uh, that beautiful part of that country. Um, but yeah, as, as, as you said, the try is the try of the World Cup, try of the decade, try of everything. It was, uh, uh, I mean, I've never experienced, you know, that electric feel um while playing and feeling the the crowd and and i think the south africans were just as loud as the proud americans uh because that that's how rugby is that's our culture is you know if there's something of some some brilliant uh brilliance on the field uh you 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 have to give it up to them so yeah being being part of that play was um was something else and and uh the finishing uh with with takutsa naguenya was uh what was it? I mean, that's my brother right there. And, and uh, you know, love that guy. Love that whole team. Um, yeah. what One of the best memories uh, wearing that Eagles jersey for sure. And you're not bitter that your, uh, your interceptor and fend off um, don't get, you know, much of the credit? Oh, you know, that's uh, I'm a forward. We'll leave, we'll leave the credit to the fast backs. But uh, but no, that that tournament was was great, and it, it really did shape my uh, my my rugby career and, and and pathway and giving me opportunities. So you know, I just uh, you know the, the scouts and the coaches and the, and the opportunities afterwards uh, they notice it, but maybe maybe not so much. Uh, John, that's a great question. That actually that was one of my questions, Todd. Outside of that, what are some of your your one or two all-time favorite moments. Uh, if you got another one that can top that one, feel free to share. Otherwise, I was going to ask you a question off the field at Rugby World Cup, and feel free to share as much as you'd like. But, yeah, uh, which uh, I'm. I mean, there's so many great, uh, you know, great, you know, rugby memories on and off the field. <laughs> I, I remember in uh, in the World Cup in 2011, a few of us were were going out for uh, for a light snack. Uh, in this and and I just hear my name you know Todd 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 clever clever and I was like I'm not turning around I'm not turning around and, and sure enough the guys that I was with I think it was Louis Stanfield turns around yeah. and it was uh it was Quade Cooper and a few of the other uh Wallaby boys uh yelling my name and I'm just like oh man and then uh, and the USA guys they're all part-time players not professional so they invited us to join them and and we had a great uh great midweek um you know a couple of drinks with them uh, so, I mean, that was, you know, kind of intimate and very great, uh, you know, uh, and that's what rugby is all about, you know, and, and, and on field, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, I mean, opening game of 2007 when we played against England uh, and, and that whole stadium was just English, except for, uh, you know, a handful of American flags and whenever they're saying it, swinging, uh, swing low and, and uh, God save the queen. That was, uh, you know, give you, sp- uh, you know, 
uh, it chills down your spine, you know, facing the Hako is, is, is very great. I mean, there's just, I can, I can go on and on, but it was, a, it was a good time. And, and Todd, you know, you, uh, I talked about this earlier in the intro, you, you, you've logged a lot of rugby miles around the world, which is amazing. And, and it's unique uh, for players and not everyone can do it. You know, how were you able to do that? I mean, I don't know if you had an agent, um, you know, uh, I don't know if even YouTube was a thing at that point, you know, how did you find your way over to, you know, super rugby, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I rewind it and I go back to, uh, you know, setting goals. Um, yeah. when I, when I first picked up a rugby ball in, in 1999, uh, that was a rugby world cup year. And I didn't even know that there was a rugby world cup going on. Um, went on a first tour, fell in love with the sport, found out the more I played, uh, the more tours I got on. So I actually fell in love with, you know, off field more so than on field. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, the only rugby that I saw that, that we got at my house growing up was tri nations and super rugby. So I had my favorite team. I had my favorite players. I didn't know anything about European rugby. All I knew was, you know, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, you know, they played Tri-Nations, they played Super Rugby. So, you know, I, that, I just, you know, envisioned myself being on that field, wanting to be on that field. Uh, and then, like, like I mentioned, after 2007, I had a lot of opportunities to, uh, to, to go to play in France, to play in England, play all, all of a sudden in the world. And uh, Super Rugby contract came up and and i signed it i mean it was like i'll tell you it was about a third of the the worth because i wasn't making the pound or the euro i was making the new, uh, south african ran okay. um but at that time it wasn't about money it was about you know being able to tick off that box uh that i always wanted to play super rugby so i had a few great seasons in with the lions in, in south africa mm -hmm. uh and then uh, and then opportunities came up in japan and and uh, it was life-changing stuff, and then finished up my career, overseas career, in uh, in the Premiership in England. Wow! Uh, I mean, bit, all of us have been a big fan of yours over the years, and trying to follow, trying to find you. <laughs> uh, but again, every, real quick, we have another eight minutes. I mean, I, I think I told Todd like eight forty-five uh, Eastern time, but we're keeping him a little while longer. He's knowing where to go. Um, it's it's a ha it's a happy hour, right? I mean, I got my couple gillies, cold gillies, in front of me, and, uh, yes. and I'm, I'm I'm staying hydrated. I'm 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 bought. I'm sold. You get you get a whole hour out of me without it without any complaints. Dude, Todd, you're you're one of our our, our you, you, the fans are here because of you, not because of me. <laughs> so <laughs> we even got Quaid out there listening. We got some people who want to get up here and talk at some point. Oh no, Quaid! Oh shoot, I just mentioned his name. I didn't know his his ears must have been ringing. Get him on. Get him on speaker. <laughs> Invite him on here. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if he'll talk at all. We'll get him up here. We'll, we'll request him. But uh, before we get to that, I want to ask you a quick question because Dale Dale's up here also. He's going to ask you a question too. Hopefully, get Quaid. Um, I went to the um, the USA and Maori All Black match in Philly a number of years ago. I don't know how long that was. Um, the game, I think Cam Dolan kind of came into his own uh, into the scene, and you came off with a cut to the head. And minutes later, came back on with the biggest bandage I've ever seen in my life in a match. That thing was wrapped around your head like, I don't know what it was. I mean, how the hell could you even see with that much tape around your head? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you to the medical staff that day and every other day that's taped me up and, uh, you know, got me ready for the games. Um, no, I mean, you know, that head, head wounds, they could be small, but, uh, you know, they, they bleed a lot. So yeah. it, it was it was a keep it in, but... 
yeah, that was a that was a great great game. Uh, passionate about that one for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just all part of the game, and just kind of keep going. All right, let's go to a listener, uh, Dale. Thanks for coming up. Hi guys, morning. How are you? Um, it's what's the time? It's four o'clock here in South Africa. Todd, oh, no, I just want to say hi. Um, we actually met. I live in Joburg. He used to play for the Lions, and we went for a couple of lunches. I don't know if you can remember. Um, in, in Rosebank. Hoi mora, Dale. Mora. Morning, guys. No, it's listen, like a slob, ne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm still half asleep on my way to gym. And I thought I'll pop on you and just say, how's it? Yeah, good, um, hey, good to see Yeah, absolutely, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been following you over the years, going back to the USA from the Lions days. And uh, congratulations on all your success in the USA for for the World Cup. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Definitely. Well, hopefully uh, you'll, be, you'll be making the trip over. I hope so. I hope so. The exchange rate is a bit rough. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you, uh, Dale, for that comment. Thanks for tuning in from uh, from South Africa as well. We have a, another uh, South Africana here listening as well. Uh, Peter's a, 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 one of our, our favorite listeners, and uh, maybe he'll get up here and ask a question too. Uh, but Todd, let's let's talk about um, you know off the field at the World Cups. You know, if you don't mind sharing a bit. Um, uh, and John, I'm sorry, I don't know if you asked this question out already, but you know, are there like what's your favorite locations? I mean, like I said, you've been around the world as well. I mean, there are certain areas where you're like, uh, I need to go back there. I need to go back to that beach. I need to go back to that bar. I need to go back to that rugby, like play tents in, in Bermuda. I need to go somewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, as, as an athlete, professional athlete and, and, uh, looking through my, uh, you know, journal and my diary and, and my passport stamps and, you know, reading and, and, and doing that. I think, I think it was about 35, 37 countries I played rugby in. And, and uh, I'm so blessed to have all those opportunities, you know, to, to pinpoint just a couple, you know, it, it's tough whenever you're there on a high performance, you know, there for a game, that's what you're there for. That's what you're paid for. That's what you're getting ready for. So you might only have a day off or, or an afternoon off um, to, to actually explore. And for me, as I mentioned before, that's the reason why I love rugby is because it gave me that, you know, those passport stamps. It, it let me live those um, different cultures. I, I ate different foods. I, I got to know people from a, a different background. And, and that's my passion, you know, is to is to have that, you know, and, and to continue to do that. And, and my my um, rugby career is been a full circle of you know starting amateur not even knowing that there's professional rugby didn't know that there's a world cup to playing in a world cup you know being part of the squad just three years later when i was 20 years old and and then you know being able to you know travel the world uh at a high performance playing professional rugby at the highest level and then you know when i retired from that professional life i continued to play because that's where my best friends that's where my brothers that's where you know uh, my, my passion is. And every time that I'm in a country and instead of being high performance where I only have a day off or an afternoon off, I, you know, I make sure I have, you know, six days off where I'm actually able to, you know, give back to the community, uh, give back to the local rugby club, go, uh, you know, volunteer, really be of service. And, uh, and, and, and that's where, you know, I find. So, so to go back to your simple question of where it is, I mean, I mean, it, I, I, I can't, I can't pinpoint anything. I mean, I find, I find 
the best places. If I'm in, you know, Tbilisi, Georgia, I'll find the nicest cafe. Or if I'm in, you know, Bucharest, Romania, or South Africa, or Australia, I mean, anywhere else, I'll find, you know, a great spot and have probably the best beer I've ever tasted or the best coffee I've ever had and meet a new person that, uh, that that's unbelievable. No, Todd, that's great. Uh, one of the questions that we always like to ask uh, some of the players that come up here are um, thinking back over their career and some of the tours they've been on, but uh, who are some of your uh, favorite uh, Eagles teammates that you've had to uh, room up with on tour? Maybe a funny story or two you can share with us. Oh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, it's probably not. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anything should be recorded of, of the funny things, but uh, but probably probably the best uh, best roommate, the most person I've had was Louis Stanfill. Um, he's a character, but I mean, yeah, he's. He, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave that. He kept me in line. He got me out of a lot of trouble. You know, that's, <laughs> that's for the national team, but uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, Carlos Spencer. We roomed together in in Australia on a Super Rugby tour when he came over to play for the Lions as well. And uh, a quick little story is um, we were over there for five weeks. We were in Australia for three, New Zealand for two, and we were going back uh, and staying at Coogee Bay, uh, you know, at the hotel there. And we had uh, a bye week the next week. Uh, So we were all traveling back, but they gave us an option to – to stay, uh, you know, two nights on the on the on the team's fr- on the team's dime, and they'll change her. We still have business class flying back to South Africa, so most of the South Africans missed home. They want to get back to uh, to their families, but uh, but there's uh, there's a quarter of us that are like, no, we're staying. We we want to enjoy this uh, enjoy this time. So we uh, we all logging into our new rooms, and everybody has an ocean view except for Carlos Spencer and myself, and. He's like, oh, it's okay. I was like, no, we're not going to look over uh, into a parking lot and tennis courts. We've got to have an ocean view. So I went downstairs thinking I'm, you know, tough shit. Can I speak to the manager? I, you know, this, like, we don't have any more oceanfront rooms. I'm sorry, Mr. Clever. And like, there's anything you can do. They're like, only thing that we have is the honeymoon suite that's open. I said, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> so, uh, so they gave us the honeymoon suite and it was very romantic. They gave us a, you know, double king size bed over, overlooking it and, you know, I was uh, I was the big spoon to Carlos Spencer. That, that, that's that's about that. <laughs> so, so Todd, uh, you know, you're living a life I think a lot of us would love to live as far as the sport goes. Um, would you compare yourself to say Chris Bowman, except he's in an RV and you actually an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well that's probably the most interesting man alive, uh, Chris <laughs> Bowman. Uh, yeah, what a, what a classic individual. Uh, that guy, um, you know, if 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 I had an opportunity to trade lives with anybody, it it, uh, it would not be with Chris. That's for sure. <laughs> that's OK. That's OK. He's a, he's a great man. And so are you. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. Listen, everybody, we're up to 10 o'clock a little after we we extreme. Thank you so much to our guest, Todd. Todd, thank you so much for joining us and giving us these moments and talk about the, the World Cup. Qual- I mean, the, uh, you know, World Cup hosting and anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks again for having me. This is an exciting time. Um, you know, just just in closing, you know, let's not focus on that shiny object in in, uh, in a decade time. Let's focus on uh, grassroots rugby, making sure more boys and girls play rugby, and and that's what I'll be doing through my foundation and, and, and my life's passion is is to uh, as be there for that. So, uh, thanks again for having me, and uh, hopefully we get to chat again. 
Absolutely. And everyone, please follow Todd online also with his foundation and follow Eagles Overseas and Rugby Morning. Uh, we're all here in, on Thursday nights on 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, everyone, have a great weekend. Have a great night. And thank you again. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Good night. Love you, Quaid. <laughs> <laughs>